morning everybody, really good to be with you this morning. We're continuing our series in Ezra today. Although we're not actually spending much time in Ezra itself, that will be explained shortly. But just as a recap before we come into the book of Ezra, really, really brief recap. We got to the point last week where the Israelites, they're back in the land, they're about to rebuild the temple. And then some of their enemies come along, some Samaritans, and they write a letter to the king to tell the Israelites to stop the building of the temple. And they listen and they stop rebuilding. And that's where we come to this morning, where they've stopped rebuilding the temple. And we need a little bit of encouragement here to hear what God is saying to them. And as we say that, let's pray and hear what God is saying to us. So Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you're gracious, merciful and kind. We ask today that you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace, mercy, kindness and love to us. Amen. Let's go to Ezra 5, chapter one, um, verse 1. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Now the prophets, prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and Jeshua, son of Jazadok, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So the people had stopped rebuilding the temple, which God had clearly sent them and told them to do. And they stopped because they were told to stop by the king. And the passage shows that the prophets come to encourage the people of Israel to rebuild the temple. They basically come and say, you've been told not to do this, but God has told you to. So rebuild the temple. Don't listen to those that tell you no. And so God begins again to restore the heart of a nation through the preaching of the prophets. Now it's important at this point to think about what is a prophet. So in the Old Testament you have prophets. And the prophets were the infallible preachers who heard from God. Prophets often came in times when Israel were disobeying the law of God, living for themselves and disobeying what God was telling them to do. And the prophets would come and they would tell Israel all about what they were doing wrong and redirect them back to the law of God. That was the place of a prophet. And much of the prophecy in the Old Testament time is what we now have in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. That's the, the words, mostly the words of the prophets. And of course now in the New Testament era we still have prophets, but the prophets now are slightly different. Paul says with prophets in the New Testament that we have to test what they bring. So there's a, a sense of, of uh, that they are not completely infallible, but there is a, a testing of what they bring. But we still have prophetic words that help to bring God's people back to his word, and to encourage them in how to live for him. But we're going to go to the book of Zechariah. So it says that Zechariah was one of the people that brought prophecies to Israel. To encourage them in the rebuilding of the temple. I just want to read to you Zechariah chapter 2. 1 to 12. 
this is the prophecy that Isaiah, that Zechariah, brought to the people of Israel. And I lifted up my eyes, and behold, I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and its height and its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of the people and the livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad to the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, who will dwell with the daughters of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in their midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah and his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. So this is the prophetic word recorded in scripture that Zechariah brings to the people of Israel, to the exiles returned home. So as the angel appears to him, it says in the first two verses, I lifted my eyes and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem to see what its height and width and length is. Actually, it doesn't mention height in there. It just says its width and its length. And then he says, and then he says, Behold, the angel who talked with him came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will glory in her midst. See, as Zechariah is, is, is there in Israel with the, with the exiles returned to rebuild the walls, he sees a man, it says. He sees a man. And that man is an angel. And this angel is measuring Jerusalem, measuring the city. So what's his measurement all about? Well, it's a symbolic measurement. It's there in order to take in the extent of the city and the glory of the city. To see how big the city is for it to be inhabited with people again. And you know, angels often have a place in God's plan. This is something we don't often think about, but in God's redemptive history, we often see angels at work. Bringing about God's blessing on his people and his judgment on unbelievers. And a good example of this in the Old Testament would be the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot is in the city and the angels come into the city to bring Lot and his family out 
before the city is destroyed. And in the New Testament, also in the book of Revelation, we see angels pouring out the bowls of wrath and blowing the trumpets and opening the seals in order to uh, bring judgment upon Israel and upon God's enemies. We'll come to that later. So Zechariah listens to this angelic conversation in which one angel sends another to give Zechariah a message. And the message is for Israel. This is the message, as I say, that Ezra and the other exiles heard from Zechariah. And the content of the message is this. It's a promise. It's a promise to God's people. It's a promise to the exiles come back from exile. It's a promise saying that I will rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be inhabited with many people and livestock. And God is going to bring the exiled people back. He will restore Israel again, just as he promised. God always keeps his promises. He kept his promises to them, and he will keep his promises to us. God is a good God. God is a God who is faithful. God is a God who blesses his people. He loves to be faithful. He who promised is faithful, it says in Hebrews 10, 23. He who promised is faithful, and God was faithful to them. And he will be faithful to us. You know, whatever you face in your life, God is, is faithful to his covenant promises to his people. God will look after you. He will care for you. He will provide for you. In the difficult times, he will be with you. As he was with Israel. He always keeps his promises. But there's another part to this word as well. Another part to the promise. That the villages, says the angel, will be inhabited without walls. Now what does that mean? So in ancient times, cities would have walls for protection. And if you read Nehemiah, and by the way, a number of years ago, Freedom did a series on Nehemiah. It's on the website. Go back and look at it. Nehemiah is kind of the sequel. It's the second part of, of this story with Ezra. In fact, in, in some of the Jewish scriptures, it's actually one book. Ezra and Nehemiah. In Nehemiah we see the walls of Jerusalem and the city being rebuilt. So does this contradict God saying here, I'm not, um, I'm not in your walls. You'll be a city without walls, sorry. That's what he says and yet the walls are rebuilt. So what's he saying here? What's this about? Well, it doesn't contradict. Here's the point. Human built walls are human protection. Humans trying to protect themselves from their enemies. And that's not wrong or bad. And as we find out in Nehemiah, Jerusalem does end up with walls. But God is saying, with walls, without walls, I am the one who protects you. I am the one who looks after you. I am the one who watches over you. I will be protecting you. Your human protection only lasts so long and only goes so far. But without my protection, you'll never be fully safe. That's essentially what God is saying to them. In fact, he says he will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. Again, this was not a literal wall of fire there. But it calls back, doesn't it, to the Exodus account. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they travelled in the desert. And what happened? God appeared to them in the day as a pillar of cloud and at night as a pillar of fire. And he guided them through the desert. So God is saying, I will guide you. I will protect you. 
I will watch over you. That was his promise to his people as they faced enemies telling them to stop, as they faced negative criticism from those who were coming against them. That's what he said to them. And hey, you know what? That's true for us too, isn't it? God protects us. He doesn't always stop difficult things coming against us. He doesn't always stop us getting attacked. He doesn't always stop us suffering, sickness and whatever. But he is protecting us through all of that. And then it says in verses 6 to 9, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad to the four winds of heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughters of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye, of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them. And they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me. So God, having promised his people protection, calls out to them and says, Come out of exile. Come out of the land where you're living. And it's pretty clear here. God sent his people to that land in discipline. God does discipline his children. He disciplined Israel by sending them into the land because of their disobedience to him. And you know, for us as Christians, God still disciplines us. We as believers are not under his wrath and judgment for our sin. Our sins are covered by Christ, but still he sometimes disciplines us. Now anyone out there who's a parent, you know what it's like. If your child's naughty, your child does something they shouldn't do, you want to discipline them. You have to. You don't necessarily want to discipline them, but you have to discipline them. If you're not disciplined, then they become spoiled and they, you know, they'll try and get away with more. So you have to discipline them. We've done that many times with Heidi. We've had to discipline her when she's done something bad. Thankfully, our daughter's quite a, a, a gentle person and quite sensitive and she doesn't take much discipline to do what she's told. But still, we sometimes have to. And you know, God disciplines us. I remember a couple of times in my life where I've experienced the discipline of God. I remember once, not all that long ago in work, I was being very negative about another member of staff. I worked with them and I think they were just being slow and they, they just weren't really working very well. Um, instead of just being kind and nice, I, I sinned. I sinned. I criticised them, I was negative to another member of staff, and this other member of staff who, she's a Catholic, I don't know where she stands on having a personal faith in Jesus, she has some sort of faith. But she said to me, well, I don't know what she said to me actually, I can't remember the words she used, but essentially she told me off and said that I was wrong in what I said, and as soon as she said that I just felt this rebuke, not just the rebuke of a, of a fellow member of staff and another person, but a rebuke from God through her. I felt God say to me, Paul, you were wrong. That was out of order. And I felt awful when I came to God and I said, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against that person. You know, God disciplines us many times, as he did here with his people. Sometimes he uses people, like I've just said. Sometimes his word. Sometimes a prophetic word that he gives. Sometimes a situation, a circumstance. God can use all kinds of ways to discipline us. And you know what? If we listen to God, that's it. We come back, we repent, that's it. He's disciplined us, we've listened, and he's brought us back to him. 
Other times we don't listen. I remember another time where I was I was on holiday, I was dating a girl at the time. She wasn't with us, but we were on holiday, a family holiday. And I spent I got up in the morning to pray like I do, and I was praying to God. And this fact God said to me, end the relationship, break up with her. And I pushed it away. I pushed it away. That's just my thoughts. That's not God. I didn't end the relationship. And you know what? It ended really, really badly. And I knew that God was... was Because uh, discipline isn't just telling off. I knew that God was, was pointing me in the right direction. He was disciplining me. He was moving me to where he wanted me to be. And I didn't listen. But he does discipline us. Hebrews 6.12 says, in fact, that if we're not being disciplined by God, we're not his children. I don't want to shake anybody's faith this morning. But you've been disciplined by God in your life. Ask him to show you. Because if we're not disciplined by God, we don't belong to him. We're not his. But of course, God's discipline is never to punish for the sake of punishment. With them, the Israelites, they've been disciplined, but now it says... He brought them back. God's discipline of them was to draw them back to him. To give them a longing to be faithful to him again. And he restores them back to their land. Faithful to him. His discipline done with them at this point. And he brings them back. And he, he places them back in the land that he wanted them to be in. His discipline wasn't just to punish them for the sake of it. But to teach them about his will and purpose. And how... They were to live for him. This is what he does to the people of Judah. The people of Israel. He took them through the time in exile and brings them back. But he also says that he will judge their enemies. When people come against us, you know. God sovereignly used their enemies. He sovereignly used Babylon to take them into exile. And yet even though he used them to do that. He still holds the enemies responsible for their sin. But we can be sure that God is faithful to us. And that those who come against us, even if it's in God's will, he still holds them responsible. We should pray, as Jesus says, for our enemies. But know that God is in charge. And that's what he's like with Israel. He says he will judge them because they've touched the apple of his eye. You know that we are the apple of his eye individually, but also the church is the apple of his eye. And when someone touches the church... When someone hurts his people, he understands, he knows, he remembers. And then he says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. You see, God isn't just restoring Israel for the sake of Israel. He's saying to them through this prophetic word as he restores their heart and restores the nation. He's not just restoring them for their own sake. He loves them. He disciplines them. He looks after them. But he's not just restoring them for their own sake. God has a bigger purpose than just what we want. You know, it's so easy for us, isn't it, as Christians? I do it all the time. We want to pray for what we want all the time. We want to pray for our needs, pray that God will provide for us, God will heal us, God will look after our family. And of course, it's good to pray those things. That's not wrong. 
God does care about the little things in our lives because he loves us. He does and you should keep asking for them. But never forget that God's plan and purpose in this world was long before you came and will be long after you've gone. And you have got the privilege of being part of the mission and purpose of God in this world as Israel did. We are called his people. And we, it's a blessing and a comfort to be part of his plan. Ultimately, God's restoration of his people was not just for them. He was working out his plan and purpose in the world. Verse 11 says that nations will join themselves to the Lord. And this day, Judah will inherit the land again. As God restored the hearts of Israel in their land through the words of the prophets so he is about to use Israel in the original purpose he had for them to be a light to the nations to be a blessing to the world so here's the question did Israel fulfill the purpose God had for them to be a blessing to all the nations of the world and the answer to that question is yes but maybe not in the way that they would have understood it and maybe not in the way that we sometimes think of it see they thought Israel being a blessing to the world was something like bringing the whole world into the Jewish religious system everybody coming under the law of God worshipping in the temple praising Yahweh uh, coming to Jerusalem for the temple feasts that everyone would become part of the Jewish religion but that wasn't God's intention Many of the Jews, of course, end up rejecting the Messiah when he comes. But that is the blessing to the nations that comes through the Jews. The Messiah from Judah says Judah will be, uh, Judah will be redeemed again in the land. Judah, the tribe of Judah, that's where the Messiah Jesus comes from. And through the tribe of Judah and through the people of Israel comes the Messiah Jesus and in him all the nations of the earth are to be blessed. All nations of the earth are to be blessed. So this starts in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Many people from many nations are there. And initially these are, are Jewish people, are Jewish converts from other nations. But as the Spirit comes, as Peter preaches and as many people hear the gospel, so the gospel goes out from Israel, from Jerusalem and eventually to Samaria and then to uh, to the Gentiles, and to the ends of the earth, all the nations hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we are today, we're the result of this, and we are part of this mission of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And you know, God is still passionate about calling the nations to the gospel. And this is Israel. From its restoration here in the book of Ezra and Zechariah, this is what Israel was called to do. And God is still passionate about nations coming to know him and people from every nation coming to worship him. Did you know that only 1% of missionaries go to unreached people groups? And did you know that 99.9% .9 of funds go to missions amongst those who have already heard the gospel. Out there are thousands of people, thousands of people groups, thousands of nations who have not yet heard 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's support those people. Let's pray. Let's support. And if you're called, let's go to the nations with the gospel of Jesus. To fulfill the great commission. Go into all the nations and preach the gospel to all people. Teaching them to obey. This is the call of the church. This was the call of Israel. And through Jesus, out of Israel, comes Jesus and he fulfills that and he begins that kingdom mission for every nation you know but not only are there many unreached nations in the world but even nations that have had the gospel in the past look at that great continent of europe europe where the reformation happened the german man martin luther setting off the reformation that transformed the continent of europe and beyond John Calvin, a Frenchman based in Switzerland, in Geneva, sent out church planters all over France. John Knox, who went to Geneva and came back to Scotland and set up the Church of Scotland. The Puritans, and so many other great missionary movements. John Wesley in England, in Britain, preaching the gospel. And again today in Europe, there's also a need for the preaching of the gospel. And I was so pleased we went on church plant training. There was people from Germany on there and from Switzerland. It was incredible to see that God is again moving in that great continent and in those great nations. The mission of God is still powerful. It's still important. It's still the central call of the church. And even if you're not called to go to the nations, there's nations on your street. There's nations in your workplace. And you can pray for the people that are called to go. Not all of us are. Everyone has a different calling. Some of you are called to stay and work and witness to the people that you're with. And that's a wonderful calling too. We read you this quote by John Piper. This is my favourite quote on mission. I'm just going to read this to you. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because mission in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlines be glad. That's from Psalm 97.1. And then he says, let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67, 3-4, and that's a quote by John Piper. God wants the nations to come to him, and this was always his intention for Israel. Everybody would come into the promises of God. And the church, you know, was always meant to be the fulfilment of Israel. I know this theology drives some people crazy. But God's intention was not for Israel to permanently be an ethnic nation. They were there to bring in the Messiah and then the Gentiles would come in. The church doesn't replace Israel, but we are grafted into them. Israel is bigger 
than the ethnic nation and God's intention was that it always would be. We are grafted into Israel. We become part of Israel. But the Israel now is not just an ethnic nation, but a spiritual nation, a spiritual people born of the Spirit and filled with the life of God. Revelation 5, 9-10 Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you purchased people from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That is the throne of God, the people of God worshipping him. This is our goal. This is why God restored Israel to their land, why he restored them as his covenant people, in order for them to continue to fulfil the promise to the nations through the Messiah Jesus. And we take up with them, with the remnant of Israel, we take up that call. So what about national Israel, you might be asking? Because out there today there's some crazy ideas about Israel. And to be honest there's some really bad ideas about Israel. There's actually some heresies about Judaism and, and Jewishness of Christianity that were very early in the book of Acts. You see them coming up and they're repeating themselves today about Christians needing to become Jewish and, and a real focus on praying for Israel. And we should pray for Israel. I'll explain why. But what about national Israel? What's happened to them? What is God's purpose for them now? Does he have a purpose for these people who he loved as the apple of his eye, even as he loves all of us who are his as the apple of his eye? Well, it's an interesting and sad history. See, the Messiah came, and as I said before, many of Israel rejected him. Only a remnant of Jewish people ended up believing in the Messiah. But we see the, the end of, of, of the story of Old Testament Israel in the book of Revelation. Now, I understand that not everyone sees the book of Revelation this way. I hold a particular view of the book of Revelation that is very well held in the history of the church by people like Calvin, Spurgeon, um, the Puritans, Wesley, Jonathan Edwards. Many, many people have held to this particular position on Revelation. Basically, the idea that Revelation is not ideal. It's not primarily about the future for us, but was prophetic about the, 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 the close future in John's day. That it prophesied the Jewish war in Israel and the ending of the temple in 70 AD and the Roman armies invading Israel in 70 AD, destroying the temple and essentially ending the Old Testament era of Israel and the temple worship. Even if you don't agree with me about that interpretation, I know most of you probably won't. There's still principles we learn from this about God's intention for his people. But here there's some striking resemblances in Revelation to what happens in Zechariah. As the temple's measured in Zechariah, so it's measured in Revelation 11, 1 to 2. But this time the temple is measured for judgment and a few years after it's destroyed. As Israel is told in this chapter of Zechariah to flee from Babylon, so in Revelation 17, it becomes Babylon. Look at what the mystery Babylon prostitute wears. She's wearing the high priestly robes with jewels and scarlets and red and riding on the beast of Rome. Jerusalem's depicted in that way. 
And in Revelation 18.4, just as the church, just as Israel is told to flee from Babylon, so the church is told to flee from Jerusalem to escape the coming judgment. And that's exactly what happened in just before AD 70, before the temple was destroyed in the first century. The Jewish Christians received a vision from an angel and no doubt remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 about fleeing from the city when you see the armies come. And they fled to a place called Pelham and they survived the war while Israel and the temple and the old system of religion was destroyed. God ended the temple worship system. It crossed over with the era of Christ and the church, but God ends it in AD 70, in the first century. And Israel as a nation is again sent into exile. But you know, we're living in great times. We've already seen, and I believe there's prophetic significance to these events, Israel returning to the land. And Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans 11, that there will be a time in history where Israel as a nation, as a Jewish nation, will return to the Lord, as there's already a remnant of Jews amongst all the Gentile believers. Through a period, many Jewish believers, Jewish people have been hardened to the gospel, but one day they will return. Israel, who were called back to their land from exile to build the temple, to bring in the promise of the Messiah, who rejected the Messiah, were judged again by God, will one day be restored. And Paul says, what a magnificent day that will be. Because as, as the people of Israel, some say the whole nation, some say a selection from the nation, some say Jewish people from all over the world, all Israel will be saved. Whatever that means, all as in everybody, many will be saved and they will become a blessing again to the nations. Along with us Gentile believers, their restoration will bring a great wave of revival and a great move of the Spirit of God upon the earth and a great missionary movement to the ends of the earth again for the Jewish people as they accept the Messiah Jesus. Every nation brought to Christ. And this is what we pray. This is what we hope for. This is what we long for. For Israel, of course, but not just for Israel. Israel is just part of it. We don't want to be fanatics who only talk about Israel. This is for every nation. And you know, just a bit of a promo for our movement. It's why I love being part of New Frontiers. Because we go to our conferences and we go to our church plant training and you can see us planting into the nations. Pioneering new things into the nations. And we're not the only people doing it. But the gospel of, God, of Christ is going abroad to the nations. And a great commission, purpose for Israel is fulfilled. God is with his people. I want to pray as we finish. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Israel, that you called them to be a blessing to the nations. Thank you that Jesus has come through the nation of Israel. And now all of us who were outside of the covenant promises can now be part of your kingdom. Teach us where we can go in relation to, to your call upon the nations. Show us where we can give, show us where we can pray. And for some of us, show us where we can go throughout Europe and the nations of the world. We praise you for your goodness and your grace to us. Amen.